You're listening to The Classic Podcast. Hello and welcome to Hawk's Eye View, a podcast that discusses issues here at Townsend Harris and how they are reflective of larger ones in society. Every week we're going to explore how solutions to these issues require the reform or abolishment of structures already in place and how that change can start small at our lovely school. Before we get into it, we just want to make sure that everyone listening knows that the opinions we come to are our own and are not representative of the classic or the student body. So, what's wrong with the election, Sim, Izzy? So much. But I don't really think that's the school's fault. We're your hosts, Isabella. And Audrey. And today, we're going to unpack the recent election sim by dissecting the issues with the two-party system, electoral college, and how everyone loses when winner takes all. So first, we're going to look at how these issues appear in school. The first issue we see with the election simulation is the lack of representation outside of the DNC and the GOP. The DNC is the Democratic National Convention, and the GOP is the Grand Ole Party, which I did not know until I looked it up a few minutes ago. (laughs) Um... So this lack of representation is kind of annoying, but it really mirrors what the election looks like in the real world. In 2016, the Green Party caused quite a stir as liberals and Democrats blamed much of the Clinton loss on third-party voters for Jill Stein. Jill Stein earned about a million four hundred fifty-seven hundred thousand and fifty votes. We saw this trend repeat itself in 2020 when Joe Jorgensen from the Libertarian Party earned. 1.2% of the national vote, which caused many people in the conservative sphere to blame libertarians for Trump's laws, claiming that votes were wasted. However, in the 2016 election sim, which occurred a year before like either of us entered the school, wait, this was like two years before either of us entered the school, the leaders did decide to include third-party candidates. The new third-party candidates included Gary Johnson, the libertarian, and Jill Stein from the Green Party. In fact, Jill Stein actually won this election simulation. Exact numbers for previous election simulations are not accessible to the student body, so we don't know how many points she won by, but it was a victory nonetheless. Candidates like Jill Stein, Joe Jorgensen, and Gary Johnson are not operating within the two-party system. The Green, Libertarian, and Independent parties are all on the ballot each time we vote for president. Yet due to their lack of participation in the system, these parties receive little coverage in mainstream media, and Townsend Harris doesn't include them in the election sim either for can- uh, races in between the presidential election. Even though we saw them back in 2016, we didn't see any in 2020. All these issues contribute to perpetuating the two-party system, which, as most Americans know already, is intrinsically flawed. Voting for these candidates in the election sim, some students may also be inadvertently prevented from casting their ballot. This is because Townsend Harris follows how elections generally function in the U.S., where citizens are required to register in order to vote. So, in Townsend, this appears as students being required to register to vote using their SU card. This actually hinders a good number of students from voting, though, because the election sim takes place at a point in the school year where assignments and tests really begin to pile up or become overwhelming. People forget to vote, people lose their SU cards, and there's like a lot of other stuff that happens because school is hard and things can be (laughs) overwhelming. Uh, But this results in less of the student body being able to cast their vote and participate in the election sim. Speaking of voting, let's talk about the Electoral College and just exactly how votes are counted. But before we get into it, it is really important to note that, as mentioned before, the vote counts have not been released to the student body. In fact, according to Ms. Baranoff, the honors gov teacher and the election simulation coordinator, 
This is done to ensure that no candidate feels like their work has been diminished after seeing the vote counts. Vote totals from past election simulations have not been stored and are neither accessible to the student body nor to Ms. Baranoff herself. So we'll just hop into it straight away and say that there's no explicit process for how an electoral college should be created in the election simulation guide, which comes from Townsend's partnership with the Taft Institute for Government at Queens College. We'll definitely link the guide in the description. The election simulation, according to the guide, is supposed to help outline and explain these issues, like the issues with the electoral college, to students. This next quote is directly from the 2019 Simulating the Presidential Primary PDF. Providing students with a clear understanding of American politics, including topics such as the primary system and the popular vote versus the electoral college, is challenging, and this is definitely true. However, an interview with Ms. Baranoff did confirm that, as mentioned in the guide, there was a clear attempt to mimic the power that the swing states have in the electoral college. In fact, according to the Taft Institute's College Election Sim 2016 guide, Freshman votes count much more than sophomore votes, which count more than junior votes, which count more than senior votes. The guide, in fact, directly says, The simulation game alters the traditional freshman-senior relationship by making the freshmen the largest and most valuable group of voters in the schools. Seniors are obligated to court freshmen to win their very desirable votes. While this mimics the real electoral college, specifically like the swing states that hold more power and thus draw more campaigning from Democrat and Republican candidates alike, it's not like the freshmen are voted into the college by made-up state committees and the power is distributed among the freshmen equally. It's almost like the electoral college is too confusing and absurd to mimic. <laughs> so the final issue we'll be breaking down is how the election sim, much like in the real world, values partisanship over the candidate's actual policies. Students are more likely to vote with the candidates aligned with their political parties. Democrats went up and down the ballot this year, despite Republican candidates possibly putting more effort into their campaigns, which we're not claiming, we're just saying <laughs> it might have been a possibility. And the Republicans, again, might have had policies that more people aligned with. Also, the election sim chart that we all have to fill out for, you know, like APUSH, AP World, or our Gov classes, it doesn't really allow people to get a comprehensive overview of a candidate's policies and belief system anyways. So, for example, when I took a political test this year, I found out my policies aligned better with Howie Hawkins, and I didn't have the option to vote for him in our mock election, and honestly, I was really surprised that my policies aligned with Howie Hawkins, because I really thought I was going to be a lifelong Democrat. But you had to settle for the Democrats anyways, because partisanship over actual policies, because they were, like, close enough. So connecting the lack of representation for candidates outside of the DNC and GOP um, into the real world, there is not much coverage for Green and Libertarian Party candidates. This is seen in how these candidates aren't involved in like the big presidential debates where, you know, like everyone sits in front of their TV and like we all watch it and like live tweet it. There's sometimes like a fly on Mike Pence's head. And this was a huge issue in 2016. <gasps> oh no. Okay, is everything okay? Yeah, okay, okay, Did you okay. get what? No, no, okay. it's good. Should we leave that in there? Low key. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep okay. going and see how it goes. Okay. This was a huge issue in 2016 where candidates Jill Stein from the Green Party and Gary Johnson, a libertarian, argued for their right to join into these huge debates. According to Reuters, using the average of five national polls, Clinton scored 43%, Trump 40.4%. Wait, actually 40%? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Johnson 8.4% and Stein 3.2%, the commission said. Selection for the debates requires at least 15% support. And so this is also straight from Reuters. 
Johnson and Stein were both constitutionally eligible and had ballot access in enough states to theoretically win an electoral college majority, but they missed the polling threshold, and this caused them to not be allowed to participate in the debates, despite the fact that technically they had a chance to win in real life. So this raises the question, right? Like, how are political parties supposed to gain support for their candidates without being given access to the same platforms to advertise their political policies? No, actually, Jill Stein, right, attempted to attend the presidential debate at Hofstra University between Clinton and Trump back in, like, 2016. However, she was actually escorted from the premises by police. So a quote says, Authorities countered Stein on the college campus in Hempstead, New York, and asked the third-party candidate, who has not garnered enough support to participate in the debates, to show the proper credentials, which she could not do, police said. She was, quote, nicely escorted off the grounds at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a Nassau County Police Department spokesman told ABC News. Okay, so now we're going to hop into voter registration. So here's just some background on voter registration and how it actually started as a method of voter suppression. So it actually didn't exist until the early 19th century, when some states, mostly in New England because it industrialized early, a push act, um, want to find ways to keep their growing immigrant and working class population. This is seen in Pennsylvania's first voter registration system from 1836, where assessors had to travel door to door to register voters. This law only applied in Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, which was a primarily urban district. So like not all of Pennsylvania, just Philadelphia had to do it. Um, this is a quote. Although the proclaimed goal of the law was to reduce fraud, writes Alexander Kassar in his book, The Right to Vote, opponents insisted that its real intent was to reduce the participation of the poor who were frequently not home when assessors came by. This laid the groundwork for the literacy test, poll taxes, housing requirements, and other voter registration registration restrictions of Jim Crow. And after the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was passed, which outlawed those discriminatory practices, lawmakers enforced voter registration as a countermeasure. And this is best exemplified in Texas, where Southern lawmakers implemented a poll tax in the 1890s, which essentially created a fee for voting. This prevented POC-dominated communities from voting because of an economic system that kept their income far below the average. I wonder what economic system. Okay, the tax could be enforced selectively, and tax assessors had total control over the voter rolls because they could verify or deny that you had paid your tax. However, the Voting Rights Act outlawed this overt method of voter suppression, so in response, Texas lawmakers passed a policy where if the poll tax disappeared, statewide voter registration would automatically replace it. So although voter registration has been ingrained as a natural part of the voting process, it's really important to remember that in many states, like Texas, it's created as a direct response to the abolishment of obvious suppression tactics like poll taxes. So in today's world, voter registration is touted as a way to prevent voter fraud, but restrictive policies such as voter ID laws are actually addressing an issue that doesn't really exist. Quote, while American history is littered with vote buying, vote tampering, and ballot box stuffing, voter ID doesn't prevent those crimes. The only crime prevents is voter impersonation. One person showing up to the polls pretending to be someone they're not, which is a pretty stupid crime because you have to stand in line at a polling place and risk five years in prison and a $10,000 fine, all to cast one probably not consequential extra vote. The truth here is voter impersonation fraud is incredibly rare, and this is from John Oliver from The Tonight Show. So, uh, who would be surprised to learn 
that all voter registration policies do is prevent eligible voters from voting. Indigenous people are hit incredibly hard by voter registration practices. In many states, a physical address is required to register to vote and or cast the ballot, but reservations tend to not use the addressing systems, uh, tend to not use addressing systems, and residents get their mail at PO boxes or cluster mailboxes, which are not recognized as an acceptable address for voter registration in many states. Another example of this oppression is that there are states where those with criminal records are barred from registering to vote and thus voting, even if they already serve their time. This particularly impacts communities that are over-policed and underrepresented in government. So moving on to the next issue presented in the election simulation, we're now going to discuss all the issues pertaining to the Electoral College. The definition of the Electoral College, according to Google, is, quote, a body of people representing the states of the U.S., which formally casts votes for the body casts votes for the election of the president and the vice president. Which, honestly, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So, what is the history of the Electoral College? Quote, according to Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Paper number 68, the body was a compromise of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia between small states and large states. Many of the latter worried that states such as Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia would dominate the presidency, so they devised an institution where each state had the Electoral College votes in proportion to the number of its senators and House members. At a time when many people were not well educated, the Founding Fathers wanted a body of men who would deliberate over leading contenders and choosing the be- and choose the best man for the presidency. They explicitly rejected a popular vote for president because they did not trust the general population to make a wise choice. Great. The, election- <laughs> the Electoral College gives disproportionate voting power to states, favoring the smaller states with more electoral votes per person. For example, each individual vote in NY is worth X amount less than in, like, Kansas. <laughs> it's important to note that the language general population really just means people of color and women. But moving on, the Electoral College works in tandem with a, quote, winner-takes-all system that nearly all states follow in which the electoral votes are generally awarded to the candidate that has the most votes. Moreover, political advocates believe that the Electoral College is inherently racist. On base level, we can trace back history and acknowledge that the three-fifths compromise allowed the U.S. government to count enslaved people as only three-fifths of a person in determining the amount of representatives each state received, and enslaved people were not allowed to vote. An article from Mother Jones in which journalist Pema Levy interviews Harvard historian Alexander Kissar, who we mentioned a little earlier, outlines a few clear reasons on why the Electoral College's antiquated system may also be involved in upholding systemic racism to this day. Levy writes that even after the civil rights movement and the end of Jim Crow, the Southern senators blocked the adoption of a natural popular vote amendment. The electoral national, co- national, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> the electoral college is one of the South's few remaining political safeguards. Alabama Democratic Senator James Allen wrote in 1969, according to Kassar, "Let's keep it." And this kind of works to further assert that the electoral college moves to empower the South, even as Black Americans moved in masses up north into urban centers and communities. She goes on further to show how the Electoral College strongly influenced Trump's win over Clinton back in 2016. Quote, in 2016, for example, every state of the former Confederacy except Virginia voted for Donald Trump, though the region's black voters overwhelmingly supported Hillary Clinton. 
In a region whose population was 21% African, only 13 out of 160 electoral votes, or 8%, were cast for the candidate favored by black people, Kassar writes. Ellie Bell writes for Refinery, two centuries after its founding, the Electoral College continues to uphold white supremacy and disadvantage much of the electorate. Electoral? Electoral? Electorate? Electorate? Electorate. (laughs) Particularly the black people who live in the southern states and whose votes are often overpowered by the will of electors, with most southern states staying red in recent presidential elections. That's why today, presidential candidates expend a significant amount of their effort on winning over states that hold the most influence, resulting in disproportionate attention paid to swing areas. But the fact that we have an election system that privileges a minority white party over a diverse majority is not a quirk of the system. That has been its purpose all along. And, oh, as a side note, sorry, I dropped my water. As a side note, the Classic did a piece around four years ago discussing whether students should be forced to portray candidates that say racist things and inadvertently cause BIPOC students to experience racism in a place that is meant to be in a safe space. This is also going to be linked in our description as well. And so though the candidates' personal statements are not directly involved in the systemic racism of the Electoral College, they are pertinent when discussing the systemic racism present in America. And to protect students from racism, the election simulation should be run in a more idealistic way. And the last real-world connection that we're making today, even though I'm sure you can find a million more, is that the two-party system reinforces partisanship. Now to get all scholarly... But during his, 1970, <laughs> during his 1976 farewell address, George Washington there warned... There is no the way his farewell address was in 1976. It was definitely like 1796. What are you talking about? You're talking about George Washington's I've seen, farewell you've address. You've never seen George Washington in leg warmers? <laughs> well, he was a disco king. Exactly. Okay, so take two. The last real-world connection we are making today is that the two-party system reinforces partisanship. During his 1796 farewell address, George Washington warned the nation about the dangers of political parties. He said, okay, we need like some fancy music here. Thank you. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent tensions by which cunning ambition and unprincipled men will be unable to subvert the power of the people and to usurp themselves for the the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Bernie Sanders' voice. There is a danger in the idea that you need to vote for one candidate in order to preserve American democracy, a narrative that both the Democratic and Republican parties have been guilty of pushing this 2020 election. Biden's whole campaign slogan promoted the idea that this election was the, quote, battle for the soul of the nation. Many prominent figures on the left referred to Trump as a fascist, and the slogan, vote blue no matter who, was used to poke fun at the fact that many Democrats were willing to sacrifice personal values and policies to keep in Democratic nominees in as many positions as possible. Trump, however, is no less guilty of this. As Trump laid bedridden with COVID-19 in Walter Reed Military Hospital, he went as far as to tweet out the following tweet in all caps, save our second amendment vote and quote law and order vote both presidential candidates had been adamant that if they were not voted for america's democracy would crumble as if it had not been working as designed all along 
For example, if I have to hear the words vote blue no matter who again, I might start to cry. There are dangers to vote blue no matter who, especially with our local elections. But I get, like, the underlying sentiment. We have some different opinions on this. (laughs) But such convictions discourage people from voting third party in exchange for voting for Republicans or Democrats up and down the ballot like they normally do. And this is regardless of the fact that their ideals may align more with third party candidates. Whether this is from lack of accessible information about third-party candidates or the popular narrative that said third-party candidate wouldn't win, our current electoral system definitely perpetuates the exclusion of these parties. So now let's head into reforms for some of these issues. So Izzy, what were you thinking? Okay, so we could definitely try to be including more third-party candidates in the election sim. Like, we just had a presidential race this year, but we had no third-party candidates or third-party nominees. Um, Another example would be in, like, the New York um, City Council races that we have, and when we're doing election sims for representatives, we could definitely try to include more third-party, independent-party-type candidates. Uh, Students in Townsend Harris have already shown their desire for options outside of the two-party system. Let's not forget that third-party candidate Jill Stein from the Green Party won the 2016 election simulation. The want is definitely there. I also like the idea of automatic voter registration when you purchase your SU card in September because this would like mirror what they have in Canada. So Canadians, once they become of age to vote, they're automatically registered to vote, which mitigates like any chance of voter suppression through voter registration. Okay, our next idea was no more electoral college. So we have a few pros for this, uh, mainly being there's no more electoral college. Um, That puts everyone in the same um vote that means everyone who puts an effort to vote has their vote equal the same amount and a con would be having upperclassmen focus on freshmen like it really does make the transition to high school more pleasant and helps in welcoming new students so removing that element might i guess remove some of that welcoming feeling that freshmen have when they enter townsend because i remember being like super excited to like get candy from the seniors yeah that was always like a plus So another idea would be implementing ranked choice voting. So implementing a RCV system would help combat the issue of partisanship in the election sim, as well as eliminate the quote winner takes all system. So I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent about this, but the concept of ranked choice voting is simple enough. So instead of picking one candidate, you'll list the candidates you wish were elected in order, like numerically, and if your first candidate does not receive a majority of the votes, then your votes go to the next person on your list until one candidate receives the majority. And there's like a few different benefits to RCV, and but primarily it transforms an election from the plurality winning to the majority, and thus ensures that a majority of the citizens are satisfied with the policies they vote into place. Furthermore, it like encourages citizens no encourages citizens to list candidates based on their policies rather than their party. So voters are more inclined to vote based on who they like and won't feel like they've wasted their vote or have ensured another candidate's victory if they don't vote for one of the two largest parties. And in fact, New York City has actually adopted ranked choice voting this year for its municipal elections, which are mayor, public advocate, comptroller, borough president, and city council. So it just makes sense for the school to implement ranked choice voting. And our final idea for this whole fixing the election simulation, or really just making it as great as it can be, would be including live results that show the distribution of the votes. 
So this would include showing demographics, so like 50% of the seniors voted for X and 39% of the sophomores voted for Y. It wouldn't have to reveal any particular numbers just to kind of keep in place the values that Ms. Baranoff mentioned before. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Doesn't this essentially serve the same purpose as revealing the numbers anyways? Just because like, you can calculate it based on the percentage of seniors from the graduating class, like if you knew the total number of people in each class. Well, this is true, but we could also instead choose to show the demographics for each candidate, like 50% of people who voted for X or seniors to show the breakdown for each candidate without ever revealing the totals. So because you wouldn't know how many total people voted for that person, you wouldn't have to worry about uh, people being able to calculate those numbers. But this is also kind of just going further to show that the election simulation is more ideal than it is realistic because you are aren't able to see who voted for who or how many people voted for what. And since these are things that you would be able to see in the real election, it is uh, one sign that the election simulation is not a perfect mirror of real life. And so it's not crazy or insane to think that you can make changes to the election simulation just to make it a more fair process for everyone involved in the school. So connecting these solutions from within the election sim to the real world, the issues discussed today can be combated by mirroring some of these proposals that we mentioned before. And first would definitely be automatic voter registration for all U.S. citizens once they turn 18. And this is kind of a bigger one, but the elimination of the two-party system in general would be awesome. <laughs> no more political parties. This would allow people with less money to compete against the GOP and the DNC and make being on the ballot way more equitable. Well, there would be no GOP and DNC because there'd be no two-party system. One can only dream. It would, it would also allow for different lines of thinking within the different uh, candidates because they wouldn't need to adhere to strict party standards. I wonder if maybe that would result in maybe too many people being on the ballot if there's no parties like limiting them? Well, right now, people can still run independently even if they don't have the backing of the GNC and the GOP. And so to make... <laughs> DNC? The DNC? You said GNC. Again? Yeah. No way. It's okay, it's okay. Oh my god, okay. The DNC and the GOP, um, because you need to have a certain amount of signatures to run, like to run for mayor, you need to sign enough people, so that's oh, there's always been a way to prevent uh, from too many independents running to make th so that things don't become too confusing or overwhelming for voters. Um, I think another issue I could see with this is that a lot of candidates, like qualified candidates now, who have the ability to run, there wouldn't be enough money for their campaigns to maybe take off. Well, hopefully that would actually encourage people to rely, to rely more on grassroots fundraising and not corporate interest in lobbying, which honestly would be the preferable method anyway for trying <laughs> to run. As this school year is coming to a close, juniors will have the chance to participate in next year's election simulation as well. And so we think it might be time to implement some new changes. There are three main things that we want to see, and we've kind of covered them already throughout the whole episode. But the first thing we would like to see is more third-party candidates. The second would be the demographics for the votes. And the third would be automatic voter registration when you purchase your SU card.
so that wraps up our reforms and solutions section so thank you guys so much for listening to today's hawk's eye view with your hosts audrey and isabella we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the election sim as we broke down the issues with the two-party system electoral college and voter registration be sure to check out the description for all of our sources and information in our next episode that's all for today folks see you next time